Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help, and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's show. I am absolutely delighted to be joined um, by Dr. Jim Grubman again uh, on the show. Um, For those of you that are long-term listeners, you will remember Jim from an episode um, last year where we talked about successful transitions in family business. And it became, I think it was about four months to go in the year, and it became the second most listened to episode um, of the the whole of 2020, um, so absolutely no pressure on us today, Jim. To, uh, to, to... <laughs> no pressure at all. <laughs> um, but firstly, welcome back to to the show. It's great to have you um, back with us. Yes, it's really great to be here, um, and I look forward to having another wonderful conversation with you, so that we can talk about some of the new things that are happening. Absolutely. And for those that may have um, missed last year's show, perhaps give them a little bit of an overview of um, your role, what you do, and uh, we can then get into the detail of what we're going to talk about today. Sure. Um, I uh, have been a family wealth consultant and family business consultant for going on more than two decades now. Um, And um, I work with families, largely maybe North America, but also globally. And you know my work with my wonderful colleague, Dennis Chaffee, on cross-cultural sorts of things. Um, What we're talking about today is related to some new roles and work that I have, where about the last year and a half or two years, I am working with the Ultra High Net Worth Institute, a think tank uh, that is devoted to developing resources and providing information to ultra high net worth families in a very uh, unbiased, conflict-free, objective sort of way um, that they have been asking for for a long time. And in that role, I'm the chair of the content and curriculum committee in developing some of the thought leadership that the Institute is developing. And mm-hmm. um, one of the pieces of thought leadership is what we're going to be discussing today and it is the 10 domains of family wealth and we'll get into some of the specifics around those um, as we progress through our conversation but in terms of um, a kind of an overview for the audience um, just to, to point out at this stage in the show notes for this show there will be a graphic that highlights the diagram that um, Jim and I will be talking about. I had to Google this before we had a chat, Jim, but um, a nine shape, uh, sorry, a nine um, edged shape uh, is called a nonagon. Um, so it's a, a nonagon <laughs> it's that we're going to be. Yeah. 
<laughs> so it's a nonagon we're going to be talking about. It's a nine-sided shape, um, and it represents a, a really interesting um, piece of thought leadership that, that is highlighted on the 10 domains of family wealth. So now we know it's a nonagon, what else can we tell our audience around the, the 10 domains of family wealth? Well, first of all, Russ, it's brilliant. And um, uh, I think I vaguely had remembered there was a name for a nine edged shape of a nonagon. But now that you've done that, I will definitely keep that in mind and, and make reference to it. And with the 10th uh, domain at the center in a circle. So we have to coin a term for a nonagon with a circle in the middle mm -hmm. somehow. <laughs> um, well, I think uh, it relates to the uh, purpose and mission of the Institute in providing information um, because many families, there was a conference, as you know, in late 2018, uh, in which families had the opportunity to talk about what they really wanted and needed in their lives with their wealth advisors. And they really were very frustrated they wanted information that they could trust that was not linked to what a particular advisory firm uh, was selling or pushing or saying what was important. They wanted something oriented to families that was independent of the uh, advisory system. So as we began to think about it, uh, consider what content we were going to develop. I actually asked one of those uh, basic questions um, uh, that I, I was scratching my head over and I put out to the other leaders in the think tank and I said, well, if we're going to be talking about what is important to families of wealth at the ultra high net worth uh, level, what are we going to be talking about? What is the landscape that families live in when you have ultra high net worth wealth. Mm -hmm. And I remember it sort of stopped the conversation as you can imagine. Because <laughs> uh, it's like, well, you know, it's one of those things everybody knows about it, but nobody defines it. And, um, you know, one person said, well, we looked at that a couple of years ago and came up with like 200 and something different areas. And so I thought, well, that's, that's not a great organization. <laughs> um, so we began a process of distilling down and distilling down, putting our heads together, having conversations of um, what are the main domains or areas that if you have significant wealth, these are the areas of your life that are your needs and your concerns, whether or not the particular firm you're with is providing those. But, you know, for you as a family, what are your needs? And it proved to be a very helpful process because it distilled down and we came to the 10 domains of which nine arrayed around the circle in the nonagon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'll have to resist my temptation to use a British accent on that, um, uh, are the content domains. And then at the center, which we will talk about is why that's important, is uh, a process domain or what often is called practice management or how services are delivered. Um, and uh, since this has rolled out 
in the past year or so, it actually has proven pretty robust and we're pretty happy with its development. Absolutely. And and I think as well, what's really key to this is, again, for, for those that are listening, head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash 10 dash domains. And the diagram that we're talking about will be on there in the show notes. But what this does beautifully, I think, in, in my view, is it, it creates something that is both broad in the sense of it covers everything that uh, within the sort of world of family wealth but it breaks it down into to manageable chunks in the sense that it, it kind of segregates things really well but centered around that advisor client relationship and i think that's the really important element of it is that there are content domains which are where the different subject matters sit and within each of those domains there is a huge amount of detail and, and depth that that can exist beyond that but it's then centered around that process of service delivery and what us as advisors and as, a, as practitioners, that the importance for me as well is that it highlights areas where I'm not an expert in, uh, I'm resisting the urge to say philanthropy, just because it's a word I really struggle with. It's been highlighted on uh, many shows. I struggle with the pronunciation of philanthropy, so I practice it as often as I can. But because I'm not an, er an expert in that area, it could be tempting for me to go, well, let's not worry about that side of it because it's not my role. But by understanding these domains, actually, for me, it's a call to action to say I need to bring others into that relationship to talk about something that is um, their level, their area of expertise here because it's such an important element of the overall picture. But does that echo with what you're seeing as well? Very much so, Russ. And you make a great point there, which is very often when advisors think of what are we going to offer in the firm? What do we know how to do? Um, what do families need? They very often see it through the lens of themselves. And as you said, it's like if, if I were, a, say, a financial advisor uh, and nobody in the firm was a, very interested in or specialist in philanthropy, it would be very easy for us to say, well, you know, um, the families, they can get that elsewhere. We don't really know much about it. We're not going to offer it. If they ask, we'll refer them to somebody. Maybe we need a short list of, you know, favorite referral sources. But not our business. Mm -hmm. And that phrase often comes up, particularly when you get to things like family dynamics or governance, it's not our business. Mm -hmm. And so this is actually what families have been concerned about and complaining about, which is, look, you may think it's not your business. You may not be very good at it. You may not have anybody who knows about it, but we still have needs about mm -hmm. it. Yeah. You know, it's about us. It's not about you. Um, and so the 10 domains model is unique in that it is completely agnostic of the practitioner skills or whatever in terms of what they want to offer. It is totally focused on the family's needs and the landscape of family wealth so that the family can say, we need help in this area. This is something we want to do whether or not you are helping us with it, you know, to the firm. Yeah. It also 
uh, is becoming a really uh, good guide for families to ask their firms, okay, of these things here, tell us your expertise, mm -hmm. what you offer, and what you're going to do for us. So it's beginning to turn the tables a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And we've mentioned that the advisor-client relationship sits in the middle of the um, diagram. If we just list off the um, 10 or the nine other uh, sort of content domains, just to give people a, an overview. So starting with integrated financial management, estate planning and legal issues and risk management, and that sits in a sector that is known as wealth, wealth creation and stewardship. You then have a cultivation of family capital um, and the, the three elements in there are governance and decision making, leadership and transition planning, learning development and the rising generation. And then finally, we have a human advancement uh, sector, which covers family dynamics, health and well-being and social impact. And my favorite word, philanthropy, which I philanthropy. am. Yes. Um, well, one of the things I notice about this as well is when we're talking about family wealth it's very easy to get lost in just the financial aspect of that and yet in reality I know the the financial aspect of it seeps into other areas on this but there's one of those content domains which is integrated financial management but again it highlights that actually for families with wealth that there is a a whole raft of challenges that they will need help and support with away from simply managing i say simply as if it's a really easy <laughs> yes but away from managing the the wealth of the the family and i that's i think is the attractiveness of this model as well is that it's so broad around you know moving away from just talking about the money all the time well it's funny russ you remind me of something that goes way back to my days in healthcare uh, as a psychologist. And I specialized in medically related and brain related sorts of things. There is a um, uh, image and a teaching tool in neurology called the homunculus, a wow. beautiful word to, to look up in the dictionary. The homunculus is a tiny image of a person, but it is not proportional to, you know, a normal person. And it has to do with an area in the brain where the brain receives information, sensory information from different parts of the body. The homunculus is sized according to the sensory input to the brain from that area. So it actually has a huge head, very large tongue because we actually get tremendous amounts of information from the tongue in terms of taste and sensation, the nose, the ears, and proportionally the body. And, uh, and if you look at like hands and feet are larger than the main body, the homunculus reflects how much the brain is paying attention to information from that area. It's interesting to, to look that up. Yeah. And what you were talking about is in a sense, traditionally in wealth management, if we drew a homunculus of the domains of family wealth, wealth management would be huge. Yeah, It would be overwhelming. And there'd be all sorts of stuff there and it's attention to be paid. Um, but in reality, you know, what we did is we sized all nine content sectors equivalent, uh -huh. the same size. 
And uh, we also put that advisor-client relationship at the center in a significant size and not the usual throwaway line about, well, those are the soft skills and you know you have to have good bedside manner mm-hmm. in working with clients and now let's get back to the good stuff. Yeah. Um, so you're absolutely right. Integrated financial management essentially rules the roost uh, in wealth management, but to the think tank, to the institute, it is certainly a crucial domain, but it is you know, proportional in its place that it is, uh, the money is not the total focus, that there mm-hmm. are many other things when you have significant wealth. And so we developed a model that even visually helps put that in context. Yeah. And do you have sort of practical examples of where that can be utilized? Because again, underneath each of these um, content domains, there's a huge amount of other detail and and, um, other um, kind of issues and challenges that are being faced within those segments. But but do you have practical examples of where this is being utilized in either from a family perspective or from a practitioner perspective? Well, what's interesting, Russ, is uh, I'm getting more and more examples of that as time goes on. And let me tell you about one recently that came up in conversation with um, each of the domains has a domain chair who's sort of, you know, responsible or an expert in that domain along with, um, uh, I'm domain chair for the advisor client relationship. So there are nine other domain chairs. And I was speaking with a wonderful colleague, Stacy Allred uh, in the US who um, uh, is part of the team And we were talking about something that has become prominent with COVID in the last year. And that is the issue that, you know, people have realized that um, the phrase about, well, you know, we could hit by a bus next week. Actually, we could get hit by a virus next week Mm -hmm. and some bad things could happen. And so planning for continuity, um, issues of incapacity, Uh, the various sorts of things that we've always talked about. This is now being revived. Many families want to know, gee, we need to accelerate and make sure we have all those things in place. As we were kind of noodling together in a conversation about how to organize, helping families understand the many areas and the roles and relationships and responsibilities that they have. We it dawned on us that actually you could use the 10 domains as the organizing principle. Mm-hmm. And we began to go around and look at that. Um, and just to kind of walk through some of that, you know, certainly in integrated financial management, there are many things around making sure assets are titled correctly, that if you, you know, drop dead next week, that there's going to be uh, good continuity and how that happens. Um, financial planning and transfer. Um, uh, even in the U.S., there are new compliance regulation issues around advisors talking to clients about uh, if they became incapacitated and subject to undue influence, advisors are authorized to reach out and talk to somebody about that. So there's a whole slew of legal documents to maintain financial continuity in estate planning and legal, you know, uh, lasting powers of attorney, 
um, successor trustee designation, wills, and this may mean the whole issue of estate planning. In risk management, um, things ranging from insurance and risk management to cybersecurity and maintaining a digital continuity. If you, nobody can access your passwords, what are you going to do? Oh. In governance and decision-making, if you have a position within the family enterprise in family leadership or on the family council and something happens to you, are, are there plans for uh, your replacement and have things been written into the family constitution related to ensuring continuity uh -huh. in leadership and transition planning? I mean, we could go around all the different domains. Um, this years ago, Bonnie um, uh, Brown Hartley wrote a book about having a fire drill in the family enterprise. Uh -huh. And uh, we're sort of talking about the same thing now. Yeah. Family dynamics, health and well-being social impact for that. If you have a position on the foundation board for the family's philanthropy, uh -huh. have there been plans made for what happens if you're not there? And finally, in the advisor client relationship, are you the quote unquote primary client? Uh -huh. if something happens to you. Does your advisor, have they ever met your spouse or your children? And if we turn it around the other way, has your spouse <laughs> or your children ever met your advisor? Yeah. Because if something happens to you, they need to have a relationship with somebody that they trust and whatever. And so really it's from the family's perspective, uh, maintaining continuity with the people who are responsible for their landscape. Yeah. So organizing this seemingly simple but complex array of things for continuity and longevity by the 10 domains, all of a sudden, you know, it provides a really good organization. Yeah. And it takes something that can be really intimidating. And um, there's a, a phrase, I don't know how well known it is. I use it all the time, but you can only eat an elephant one bite at a time. Yes. And it kind of breaks down the huge kind of complexity and where do I start with this stuff into, well, okay, let's start with integrated financial management. Let's work around that. And I think that's really beneficial from a family perspective, but also as a practitioner, if you're dealing with families and your perhaps your lane is integrated financial management and you do all that you can in that um, domain to, to, to be effective and be impactful with, with what you're doing from, let's take the continuity and long, longevity side of it it's highlighting as well to you as a practitioner that there's other elements there's knock-on impacts to all of this in the work that i'm doing and having that awareness of what may have been i'm kind of aware that philanthropy exists but it's not my area of um, expertise but now i know that in the whole i need to make sure that my clients are receiving really strong advice on all of these domains for me as well, that opens the door to a much more collaborative working practice, if you like, in terms of how professionals um, work with each other when they have clients that are, as you say, the, the premise and the basis of this discussion and, and the 10 domains is from feedback from families that have felt frustrated that all of this is not dealt with by their advisory teams. 
I think I'm, I might be wrong, but it's probably impractical for everything within the 10 domains to be dealt with by one firm. Um, certainly, probably not by one person. And that, that would be quite high on the risk management scale if one person was looking after everything on this side of it. Um, but, but in that sense, does it open a door to more collaborative working? Is that sort of a, a positive byproduct of um, organizing things in this way? Absolutely, Russ. You put your finger on probably one of the most important things about this model. First of all, it no longer allows advisors to say, not my job, not my business. You can say, this is my domain, but it forces all the advisors to realize that they are part of a team um, and that team may or may not be sitting around the table, but the family needs a team in all of the domains in some way. And so you are providing a, a slice of the pie, um, but you cannot say the rest of the pie doesn't exist or I'm not going to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. It also shifts um, from the idea of the concept that has reigned for a long time about, well, who's the most trusted advisor? And in a certain way, you know, with the advisor-client relationship at the center, there may be room for a quarterback or somebody who has some of those qualities, but the integrated collaborative approach uh, says that um, you need a team, they must be collaborating well, and that the family, that basically if nobody's doing that, it's not that it's not happening, it defaults to the family has to do it. Mm -hmm. We actually, um, we are beginning to put out some articles and new created content along the line of some of these areas. And um, we actually are, uh, we just put out one from uh, Joe Calabresi, who's one of the members of the think tank around the integrated nature and the challenges as well as the advantages of families getting collaborative integrated advice. And we, we actually just are putting that article out. Um, so it really speaks to what you just described that the day of a collaborative team is coming more and more. Mm, yeah, I agree. And one of the other um, perhaps um, benefits of uh, uh, looking at this model and operating under this model is that there may be people in our audience who are listening and saying, well, I don't work in that ultra high net worth space or I don't live in that ultra high net worth space. But it's a bit like when you see the um, technological advances on a Formula One car, it's not long before they start to transition down to the cars that we buy, um, particularly with like driving positions. It was something where an individual driving position in a Formula One car and all of a sudden it comes down to that in, in, in the road cars that we buy. The same can be said of this model, can't it? That it's, it, it is built by, uh, and uh, um, we're talking about it in the context of the ultra high net worth market, but actually it's probably applicable to, to most people. Well, uh, again, Russ, you were on the right track with that. And um, that was a question we had relatively early on, which is, well, what about other levels of wealth? And uh, again, the robustness of the model and the way it explains things, uh, has proven itself 
in that once we, we had discussion about this, what we realized is all the domains exist at all levels of wealth, down from the mass affluent level under a million uh, up through ultra high net worth. What differs is the complexity within each domain, the amount to be done and the nature of what families need. If you have uh, a million and a half dollars, you know, you have a need for financial management, estate planning and legal issues, risk management and insurance, uh, decision-making within the family, family dynamics, health and well-being, on and on. And you certainly have an advisor-client relationship with whoever yeah. you are working with. It's just that there may be less to deal with. The issues may be somewhat simpler um, but the domains are all there. They're just perhaps a little simpler, thinner, or, or uh, easier to address. Hmm. Fantastic. And you mentioned in your introduction, your work with um, Dennis Jaffe on cross cultures and um, that, that kind of uh, line of, of, of your work. How do the 10 domains translate when we start talking about different cultures, different religions, different um, sort of areas around the world where there's kind of, we're, we're both in Western society, quite an individualistic society, but there's obviously other cultures that, are, um, that have these challenges as well. Do the domains translate across those? They absolutely do, Russ. Uh, that was one of the things we were committed to right from the beginning, which is this was going to be a global model and a cross-cultural model. Um, I'm thinking in particular of a, a family that uh, I've been working with recently that um, has family members based from Asia to Latin America, um, Southern Europe, the UK, uh, and India. And as uh, I have been working with them and, and developing them because they have family members who are dispersed throughout the world, but they get together uh, in family meetings and uh, family assemblies. And one of the things that they're trying to do is to figure out governance. They are trying to figure out, um, there's some new initiatives around the family foundation. There are some intricacies around risk management and uh, you know, legal issues cross jurisdictions. There are also, uh, because of the heritage of the family originally, there are religious influences uh, related to um, the wealth creating generation. Uh, this family is now in uh, G4 actually. And we talked about the 10 domains and very quickly, they were able to identify in a meeting their needs and their perspectives across all 10 of the domains. And one of the things, interestingly, that they zeroed in on was the advisor-client relationship, okay. which of course was dear to my heart. So I was uh -huh. very happy about that. Um, because one of the things that they uh, jumped to was having a conversation that they had not had for 30 years in which they talked about which of their many advisory teams 
they felt comfortable with in the current generation and which they felt were holdovers from the previous generation mm -hmm. that did not understand the complexity and cross-cultural nature of the family nearly as well. This family, um, they had a family office, a single family office, but as with many family offices, particularly around the world, they had a you know aggregation of multiple other advisors and completely unexpectedly in the meeting they went to you know we should be really looking at our advisor client relationships and by the end they charged their family office with beginning to um, do a little uh, weeding out and accelerating um, and it was probably one of the most satisfying and uh, yet surprising aspects that came out of the meeting. Mm, fantastic. And that highlights as well the, the point that you made uh, as you were introducing the uh, subject matter, the, the 10 domains. And the, uh, initially it was kind of listed out as 200 separate things to, to be looking at. And organizing that from a family's perspective, it, it, it's easy to look at the subject itself, the, the one of the 200 and go well who do we need to help us with that yes and, and then oh my goodness it gets sort of really complex but by having the framework of the 10 domains as uh, an outline it's almost like an agenda for these are the things we need to discuss and then that central role of the advisor client relationship being we need to make sure that this is taken as good a care of as the outer domains as well because we have to have the right people giving us advice on all of these different topics and so from a family's perspective in looking at using this model without having to drill down into the 200 separate um, sort of areas is to use this as an agenda and make sure that they have strong advisory teams in each of those areas flipping that to a practitioner side as a practitioner, I think it's really important for us also to understand that when we're talking about whatever's within our um, domain, uh, our domain speciality, that we're aware that they need to have strong advisory teams around them for the other domains that exist, um, because otherwise it kind of it undermines what we're doing anyway. It doesn't. It, it's a benefit to us to have other advisors bring everything together in a coherent way, rather than. Um, you know, leaving the families to, to just get on with it because it's it's not our problem, so to speak. It, yes, exactly. And and uh, I'm with you on that, Russ. I think, um, uh, again, as I've been talking with some advisory firms and multifamily offices, uh, one of the comments that one of the advisors made was, you know, we always knew that in this particular case, they were talking about family dynamics and governance. We always knew that they were there, but we figured, you know, not our business. There's that phrase again. And that it was the family's responsibility. If they wanted somebody there, then, you know, they could get somebody. And if they asked us, um, you know, we could give them a couple of recommendations. But we also realized, as we talked about this as a team, this person said, that we have struggled because the family didn't have somebody in those domains, that they were not getting good help, that they were kind of letting that languish. And we realized that the spillover effect to the family and to our own work mm 
was something that we needed to pay attention to. So they made an action plan that they were going to uh, sit down, show the family the 10 domains model and say, you know, what can we do to beef this up? What can we do to really work on these domains? Um, and uh, they were going to talk to the family about how important those were to the work in all the other domains. And I heard later on uh, through an email, it was a very productive conversation and it was kind of a wake up call to the family to say, you know, actually we probably do need more help for that. And they asked, uh, you know, who would you recommend? And so now they're looking forward to um, greater help in those areas. So mm -hmm. uh, families and practitioners are beginning to look at this model as a roadmap to the landscape and saying, where are we strong and where are we weak? Yeah. And I think if you look at that, uh, again, from both sides of, of that fence, the the positive outcome to families is that they're getting more coherent advice across all of the um, issues and challenges that they're facing. And from an advisor's perspective, they're starting to build more relationships with other advisory firms that can perhaps help them to create this kind of a virtuous circle. It's not, not as if there's a, a negative outcome to, to all of this. Um, and, and that's why I, I really like this model. Um, in some respects, the if we think back to the three circle model that uh, John Davis and Renato Taguri developed, the beauty of that is in its simplicity and its complexity. And for me, this this has the same attributes. It is simple in the sense that it's very clear to understand. It's very clearly outlined and brilliantly articulated. But it comes with such a level of complexity that it, it takes a, a real degree of, of care and understanding to really make the most of it. Um, and I think that's a really exciting opportunity for both families and for um, the advisors that serve them as well. Well, I'm finding that as I work with this model with families and with advisors that there's, uh, there's a lot of aha reactions and, and head nodding that goes on. Um, uh, I will admit there are some head scratching actions that go on as well. And maybe we can take a moment to talk about those. And, sure. and it's interesting because um, like what you said about the three circle model and some other things, there are some things about this model that are a little surprising to some families and some practitioners, particularly practitioners who may have a, a certain investment in what they do or, mm -hmm. or their area. Um, one area is there is no domain for family business, mm -hmm. which has taken center stage for more than 30 years. Um, and uh, when we started working on the model, that was one of the first things that came up. Well, you know, there's going to be a, a domain of family business, family enterprise. And because we really were starting with a clean sheet of paper, uh, we said, well, wait a minute, you know, is it a primary domain? And the more we looked at it, uh, and, and with all due respect to all of the many family business advisors uh, throughout the world and, and including myself, what, um, 
what we realized was family business was neither necessary nor sufficient for the 10 domains. That certainly if you have a family enterprise and one of the most common ways that people have ultra high net worth wealth, you have the 10 domains embedded in the, some of the activities that you're doing. But some families come to wealth never having had a family business. And if you have a family business or an enterprise and you have a liquidity event and you sell the operating company, you are now a wealth owning family. You still have the same 10 domains. Mm -hmm. They are uh, maybe handled in slightly different ways, but you still have all the same domains. And so we realized that family business was just one way to organize activities in the domains, but it was a not it was not a domain in and of itself, and mm. that was incredibly eye opening. Yeah, I can I can see how um, that could could result in some um, reactions. Uh, yeah, particularly if if your uh, kind of specialism is I I work only with a family business. It's, uh, where am I in this model? But exactly, it's a little humbling to say, yeah. well, wait a minute, where's my domain? It's not here. <laughs> Have I just been uh, diminished? Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is, again, from the family standpoint, not the advisor standpoint, mm. from the family standpoint, family business is very important, but it is not primary. Uh, life goes on with or without family business. And yeah. so for families, actually, this makes a lot more sense. They do not have skin in the game as to whether their particular domain is represented or not. Yeah, and I think I, I covered this in, in a, a solo episode I did for episode 100 in, in covering um, some of the kind of things I've taken away from all, all the learnings I've had from, from doing this now 100 plus episodes. But one of them is that the success of a family should not be derived from their ability to keep a particular legal entity in family ownership. And I think what, what you were speaking about there perhaps takes some of the pressure off this feeling of we're only successful in inverted commas if we can pass this legal construct between <laughs> different generations of, of the same family whereas in fact it's just part of something that fits into the the um, 10 domains as you say but you know that's brilliant russ and um you had a comment on your linkedin post which i liked and we talked which is you know, that old research that says, oh, geez, you know, the odds are against you. Mm -hmm. uh, you're all going to fail. Family businesses don't survive, you know, to the third generation and whatever. Yep. Um, the idea that that has actually been um, uh, a red herring that we, in focusing on the business of the family, that it blinded us to what really is important. And mm -hmm. that's, again, where you know, the 10 domains are what must last. It is the longevity and sustainability of uh, all the various 10 domains. And that in fact, this is sort of the bottom line. If you pay attention to the 10 domains, you have good help in them. If you are working carefully in the family in the 10 domains, you know, whether or not you have a particular family business, it rises, it falls, it goes away. Um, it's the 10 domains which are important across generations, not the business. 
Absolutely, and uh, I couldn't agree more on uh, on that point. Um, Jim, if people wanted to find out a little bit more about the 10 domains and the Ultra High Net Worth Institute and perhaps do a little bit more reading on this, where's the best place for them to head off to? Well, there is a um, website at um, uh, uhnwinstitute.org um, that shows the activities. Uh, there, there's a public site and then there's a member site for the Institute. The public site is what I described. And um, it has a uh, resource library and uh, talking about resources that shows the 10 domains model and goes into detail about the different domains. There also has been um, a link to a supplement that has been created that uh, gives a case example of a family, shows the 10 domains, and in particular, um, goes into quite a bit of detail in each domain of the knowledge that is required uh, for competency in that domain and the skills required for mm -hmm. competency in that domain. And that's another aspect maybe we could talk about another time. <laughs> um, that, uh, you know, the Institute is focused not on just what do you know, it's focused on what do you know how to do Mm -hmm. And can you deliver this in a way that matches what people uh, need with wealth? And so um, looking for that supplement, um, so some of the sites being upgraded and the link may have moved around a little bit. If people want access, they can email me or perhaps you can post it uh, along with this podcast Absolutely. so that people can get the supplement and look at it in more detail as a PDF. Yeah, fantastic. And I'll, I'll provide links to all of that in the show notes. Um, and uh, also um, just touched on a, a very important point in, in terms of knowing what to do. It's also, um, I think, understanding that you don't have to do everything. And I think a lot of the... Certainly. Um, uh, I might be being unfair here, but a lot of um, perhaps historical views is that I need to be the master of all. Um, and it's just not... Uh, not feasible, I, I don't think, to, in today's complex world. But um, Jim, as ever, it's a, a real pleasure um, speaking with you. Thank you for um, the insights. I've learned two words today, um, so uh, that's something uh, that at least I can I can take away. Um, but it, it's been great fun. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me, Russ. It's always great talking with you, and I hope we talk again. Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you found the show helpful, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter. If what I've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business, I can help. I provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes, so please get in touch if you'd like to know more. Head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. Until next time, take care.